Winning is hard, so I think tonight was a great testament for our kids and how much they love each other and how much they love playing for each other and, and the staff. And when I say it was for South Carolina, it's a great night, you know, for Gamecock Nation and for the Carolina fans across the, the state. Yeah, it was awesome. You saw our players uh, respond to the fans that were sitting in the corner. Uh, they're fired up. Our support staff fired up. The energy inside of the, the locker room was awesome. It was a dance party, man. It was just the way it should be after a big win. You know, we have an expectation that we're going to win easy, but um, sometimes it's not so easy. I think it's difficult to win in this conference. I think it's difficult to win. You were down by six to go for it on fourth and goal from seven instead of kick. Can you talk about that a little bit? We're going for it. We walked in the stadium, we're going for it. There was no question. We're going for the win the whole time. We're not, we're not going to let this crowd intimidate us. It wasn't going to happen. We, we, we were coming in this house to win the game, so, and so was I. So I was having fun with it. Part of college football. You can never feel comfortable until there's zeros on the clock. I mean, 21 seconds, and they drive down there and, and have a chance to tie it. Oh, I knew they was going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. You know, I hate it for the kids, you know, and all that. Uh, but. Yeah, there's an open tryout, and you can announce this. There's an open tryout on our campus uh, for kickers, you know. Anybody that wants to uh, wants to kick or or uh, walk on and kick at uh, Mississippi State. Um, you know, we'll hold a tryout anytime you can get over there to our building uh, providing you're cleared by the NC2A. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brennan. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we're back again for another day of SEC action. Flying solo on this episode. Cousin Shane will be back to end the week still in Asheville on his little mini vacation there but uh hey we still got some games to preview games we didn't get to on the last episode and we had some news and notes from the SEC coaches teleconference so we'll get to that in just a second but hey I gotta mention the sponsors prize picks head on over to prizepicks.com and don't forget to use that promo code SEC get in on the action over at prize picks where they've got daily fantasy sports for all the professional sports as well as college football. So uh, in addition to our game weekend picks here in the SEC, be giving out our prize picks as we normally do. But, uh, you know, we've had a lot of people reach out and want to know how to help the show. Sign it up with prize picks. That goes a long way to keep the show going. And, of course, five-star written reviews. Send those on over to that SEC podcast at Gmail. Dot com. Each and every one of those goes a long way to supporting the show. But hey, on with the news and notes around the SEC. And the first coach to go every week on the SEC Coaches Teleconference is old Coach O. And he took uh, the opportunity there to kind of clarify what he meant. If you missed it on the last episode, go back and check it out. But uh, Shane and I were kind of poking fun on his comments there on Garrett Nussmeyer getting in some action for the Arkansas game after his dad, Doug, called. and <laughs> I mean, he made it sound like uh, Doug Nussmeyer's the one out there picking who's going to play quarterback for LSU. But it come to find out what uh, Coach O was referencing, but he, he just didn't make it clear, was that if Garrett Nussmeyer plays in another game, 
I guess he burns his redshirt year. So that was what uh, the conversation was with Doug and the family there. So let's kick it over to Coach O. That kind of clarifies what the hell he was talking about by uh, taking notes from the dad here. Coach O, when you were talking about Nussmeyer on Monday and his red shirt and everything, I, I, I kind of took it as you and the family were getting on the same page in terms of red shirting or not, not a parent dictating to a coach what to do. Uh, sure. any, anything you want to clarify on that? Yeah, yeah, that was nothing like that. No, not, not at all. Uh, it was whether we were going to play him or not in Burns red shirt year. They had to make, you know, make a decision. I was protecting uh, Garrett, you know, I wasn't going to put him in and just burn his red shirt. I wanted to make sure that the family and I was on the same page. There's nobody dictating me to, to doing nothing. I run this program. And let me tell you something. His daddy's a football coach. He's a good man. There was nothing like that ever said. Uh, Doug is a good man. And uh, Garrett, none of that. It was just, hey, where are we going to play him? Give him a chance to get the starting position and burn his red shirt here. That's a that's a decision to me a family has to make, and they made that decision, so we're going for it. Yes, sir. And uh, one more question. You spoke so highly of Sam Pittman. Um, is it safe to say another coach in that situation last year when you two guys played could have you know, kind of weaseled out of that game or found a reason not to play? I, he at SEC Media Day said, you know, those kids – uh, practice too. I think you guys are going like three games, three weeks without playing a game. He wanted you guys to play a game too last year. Yes, and that tells you about his character. Sam Pittman's a good man, and uh, that tells you all you need to know right there. You're exactly right. Um, looking back at Alabama, just uh, evaluating that Alabama team, how good do you think that Crimson Tide team is, Coach? You know, I I felt we were a better team that night, Steve. And you know what? I just felt it. I, I think that uh, I don't know if they were expecting us to be that good, but usually an Alabama team is always playing to its peak performance. Uh, I don't know if they played to their peak performance or not, but you know we matched up pretty good to hold Alabama to six rushing yards. Uh, you know, people had talked in the beginning that we're not physical or nothing like that. We hold, we hold Alabama to six yards. We have 380 yards rushing against Florida, so it shows that LSU can be physical. We've been inconsistent in that area. I don't know. I can't judge how good they are. They're not as good as the teams we've played in the past. Uh, but maybe they might be the best team in the country. I don't know that. But they weren't that night. All right, so that makes a hell of a lot more sense. I mean, I thought Coach O had already phoned in if he's uh, fielding phone calls from parents on, on who to start and who to play and all that down there at Baton Rouge. So uh, thank God Coach O's not uh, checked out to the point of where He's just letting anybody and everybody say what they want. But, hey, that wasn't the only news and notes we had from the coaches' teleconference. Dan Mullen had an optimistic update here. Anthony Richardson sounds like he is going to play against Sanford. And if you're a Florida fan, what else do you got to look forward to this weekend aside from maybe seeing what Christian Robinson does calling a defense? But, obviously, you can't really evaluate him against Sanford. But... So let's kick it over to Dan Mullen, talks about uh, Anthony Richardson's status, as well as, uh, you know, he takes a little bit more accountability here once again for following the firing of, of Todd Grantham and John Hevesy, and I think uh, Florida fans will at least appreciate these sentiments from Mullen. So, Anthony, what, has he been cleared? Is he practicing? Yeah, yeah, he, he practiced yesterday. Um, in, in, a, in somewhat of a limited capacity, but practice yesterday, so we uh, we feel good he'll be cleared to play on Saturday. 
and I know it's, it's a business and a, and a and a big business. But how, how as a head coach, and you got to make a lot of tough calls all the time. But how, how tough is it to, I guess, to call guys in and say, "Hey, I, I got, I'm." Always a hard deal, you know what I mean. Always a hard deal. I mean, our guys, the guys, guys work hard. You're close to guys. You're working hard together. But um, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's part of the deal of, of being a head football coach. You have to make tough decisions, and you got to make tough decisions for the betterment of the program. Hey, Dan. Obviously, you're no stranger to searching for defensive coordinators. You hired six, and you're at Mississippi State. Uh, two of the guys that you hired uh, went on to become head coaches. Kind of what did you learn from those processes at Mississippi State about trying to find the right guy to run your defense? Well, I mean, it's a lot. It's finding the guy that, you know, anytime you're hiring a coach, it's finding the guy that, that fits, um, you know, that that's going to hold the players accountable, um, that's going to be sound in what they do, uh, that's going to have, you know, the, the energy to, to get our players playing with the level that we expect them to do play at, and that's going to fit in with the staff. I think all of those things. Uh, are really important, and as you said, I mean we've been been very fortunate. Had some some great defensive coordinators throughout the year, and uh, you know I think two of them are cur- now currently uh, power five head coaches. Um, so you know I think uh, uh, I think as other people see that too, it makes it a, a pretty attractive job to being able to come not just to Florida, but the opportunity and looking and saying the the what has happened and the um, the development of those coaches and what it's led to in their futures and their careers. Um, what's the challenge of self-assessing, of being open to all options, to all that kind of stuff when you're trying to, you know, get things back on track? I mean, it, you know, you do things work that aren't working or aren't working that work, et cetera. How, what's the challenge? I, I think the biggest one is, is, is this, is you, you have to look and be able to check your own ego and everything that's going on. And, you know, I, I uh, learned that a, a, a long time ago. I think, you know, one of the big big one times that I've, I, I think I learned it in careers when I first came to Florida, we were running this spread offense that was rolling and we had different style players here and it just wasn't working quite well. And, you know, all of a sudden you think, hey, I have all the answers uh, with the offense that we're running. And you don't. And so you have to sit back and say, okay, um, one, let's let's just evaluate what we're doing, and are we putting guys in a position to be successful? Are our guys developing and getting better? Um, and then be able to look at the whys. You know, what, why not? And then have the ability to look and say, okay, even though this has worked in the past, it's not currently working right now. Why not? And because you need to, to to fix the problems, you need to know why they're not working. You don't just you know you're not if not you're just throwing darts at a board. Uh, so you really want to evaluate what's going on and have the ability to look and say even though I've done it this way for a long time, it's not currently working. Why is it not working? Okay, this is the reason. This is the why. Okay, then what is the why to fix why it's not working? And uh, and and then you go and figure out how to do that and and you make your changes and you uh, and you get better. Is that a constant conversation running through your head right now? And are you writing stuff down? I mean, what's your process? I do. I mean, that's well. I mean, I'll be honest. I, you learn that as a coach. You know, you're 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 always getting better. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You know, and sometimes staying the same makes you better. Sometimes changing makes you better. Just change doesn't make you better. But you know, staying the same doesn't make you better either. You know, I mean, at, at times you have to look at each scenario is different. Um, and where we're at and how to do it. And, and that's a constant evaluation. You know, I think that's uh, one of the one of the great pressures, I guess, of, as a head coach is you are constantly evaluating everything on how to improve 
um, the program because as the head coach, I'm responsible for, for every aspect of this program. And one other coach that uh, had some comments here, not only his fan base are going to love, but I think the entire SEC, Mark Stoops. He's uh, now the second head coach here in the SEC this week to really call out the officials. And after Jimbo did it earlier in the week with the uh, with the snap count issues there, allegations he had against Auburn, here's Mark Stoops. He basically said, hell, I'm not sending in bad calls, bad plays to the SEC anymore because uh, there's no damn point to doing it. And, Coach, I, I, I know coaches uh, submit plays for review and just kind of get some feedback, but I, I do wonder whether or not the face mask call at the end of the game, was that submitted, and did you ever get a response back from Birmingham? Yeah, it's it's. I'm in a no-win situation there discussing any of that. I'm not permitted to, so, um, you yeah. know, uh, it's it, – it, it, I don't even know why I turn in place, it, to be honest with you. It's, you know, I don't think I will anymore. It doesn't matter. Thank you, Coach. I, I'm mm-hmm. certainly not trying to get you in trouble. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's certainly, I think Mark Stoops here talking about uh, the – face mask there that could have been called against Tennessee late in the game that among a few other calls that uh, Mark Stoops was fired up about there on Saturday night's loss to Tennessee but you know he makes a good point what what's the point of sending these plays in if uh, there's no repercussions on the other end so I just thought SEC fans would appreciate a little referee bashing here on the SEC Coaches Teleconference. And then uh, last but not least here, we had Eli Drinkwitz and Josh Heupel hyping up his Georgia defense. Uh, These comments I thought were pretty good. Seeing what we've seen out of the college football rankings the first two weeks, Georgia the clear number one. I realize you just got through playing them. How good do you think is that Georgia football team, Coach? Um, I mean, I'm, I think they're clearly deserving of the ranking they have. Um, they obviously are dynamic uh, in a lot of different positions. Obviously, they're front seven on the defensive side of the ball. And when I say they're front seven, I really should say they're front 14 or 15 because they're too deep, and all of the too deep can play and play at a high level. Um, they've got NFL players on the back end. So defensively, I think they're a complete defense. You know, offensively, um, they've got, uh, the wide receiver number seven who can take the top off. They've got tight ends who can line up at wide receiver and create mismatch nightmares and man-to-man coverage. Um, they've got an offensive line that can can really hold their own. And I think the biggest uh, privilege they have is they have two quarterbacks. Uh, both those guys can play and play at a high level. So I think they're a very complete football team. Yeah, Coach, you may be tired of talking about the matchup of your offense and George's defense at this point, but uh... – uh, knowing you don't, you, you're not going to give away any game plans, but when you uh, face a defense that's uh, obviously you know uh, different or as uh, dominant as this one has been, I mean, do you do you just go faster and and just uh, what has been kind of your observation uh, of that defense as you study them to get ready this week? Yeah, statistically, uh, maybe as good as anybody that's that's ever played the game. You know, I mean, as as a unit and. Uh, uh, they they always have good scheme. Uh, they're well coached. They, they're extremely talented and extremely deep. Uh, you know, uh, 
their their length and their speed is is uh, is unique and, and tough and tough and difficult to uh, to prepare for. Um, you know, for us, we got to play really efficient. You got to have some balance in this football game. All three levels of their defense have elite players in it, and and uh, so you can't hurt yourself. You got to take care of the football. You look at how some games have unfolded. Their defense has <laughs> has flipped the game and in a you know, span of, of two, three minutes. And, and uh, so we got to do a great job taking care of the football and, and then uh, go out and, and make some plays too. So we'll find out. Hey, Josh Heupel's saying this statistically the best defense of all time. Is he buttering up them Bulldogs after his players have been <laughs> talking up their chances? I don't know. I think Cousin Shane will, will certainly appreciate Heupel's comments here a lot more than uh, once we had – on the last episode from Javonta Payton and, and Matthew Butler's talking up Tennessee's chances going in. Yeah, you love the confidence, but maybe just kind of keep that to yourself. And uh, Josh Heupel kind of taking the other route here on the SEC Coaches Teleconference. You know, one game here that uh, we've not really discussed this week, pretty big implications, if you ask me. South Carolina and Missouri of course, in Columbia, but it's in uh, Missouri's Columbia as the Gamecocks will be hitting the road looking to become bowl eligible with a win Saturday against the Missouri Tigers. And what an accomplishment that would be for Shane Beamer and company given uh, the situation he inherited and how dire things looked uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Really at uh, many points in this season. I mean, for some damn reason, we've had fans calling out Shane Beamer wanting to change at offensive coordinator, wanting to change at offensive line coach. And, and I'm talking six, seven, eight games into the, the tenure here. So a lot of goodwill could be won over by this uh, Gamecock fan base. You go on the road, you beat Missouri, you punch your ticket to a bowl game with, with two games remaining on the schedule against Auburn and Clemson. So real opportunity for South Carolina, a real opportunity for Missouri. But I think – this game means so much, obviously, with the bowl implications here for both sides. Missouri still needs two wins to get to a bowl, but I'd say there's no chance in hell that Missouri is going to go bowling if they can't beat South Carolina because that they'd have to turn around and beat Florida, which admittedly the Gators are floundering a little bit here, but then they'd have to beat Arkansas as well, which is currently a ranked team, one of the better teams in the SEC. It certainly seems like beating South Carolina – is got to be one of your two if you're the Missouri Tigers, if you're going to make the postseason. And, you know, why I'm kind of harping on that so much, everything that goes with the bowl game. This is obviously South Carolina, Missouri. You know, they're not competing for the SEC East. Georgia's already got this thing locked up. And, you know, who cares really your seeding at the end of the day? You want to finish as high as possible, of course. But for me – there's a real opportunity for both of these programs here to get to that postseason, to get the extra bowl practices. Who cares if you win the bowl game or not? It's more about for the program for Missouri and South Carolina, getting all these younger guys extra reps, having something to sell on the recruiting trail that you're going to the postseason. These are going to be invaluable, and I really think that uh, the winner of this game on Saturday, South Carolina, Missouri, they set themselves up to have a lot better 2022 season. 
And that's important because South Carolina and Missouri, make no mistake, they're they're fighting, clawing each other to climb that SEC East ladder. And if you lose this ball game, I'm not saying that uh, you know it'd be impossible to finish higher in 2022, but you're significantly setting yourself back. So this is almost like a springboard game to next season already. And that adds a lot of intrigue into this game. Again, aside from just making the postseason, a lot to gain for Shane Beamer and company, a lot to gain for Eli Drinkwitz. And now we get to find out if South Carolina, their big win, you know, I'm not trying to take away anything from it, but how motivated was Florida? That's going to be the question all week till we see the action here on Saturday. I thought Missouri, I know they got they got blown out by Georgia, but hell, everybody's getting blown out by Georgia this season. I thought Missouri, as it, <laughs> as weird as it may be to say, to lose 40, what was it, 43 to 6, and that was one of their better football games that they played in a couple weeks. So, you know, which, which way are we going to go here on Saturdays? Is South Carolina going to continue to trend upward? They got the running game going here. They're going to start Jason Brown once again at quarterback. Can they carry that momentum over? Or was it more of a mirage and Florida was just in the tank? I don't know. Maybe Missouri comes out here and they could carry over their momentum. They played their best run defense maybe of the season and again, it that's bizarre to say because they allowed 166 rushing yards. But again, it was the number one Georgia that was pounding the, the ball late in the game, eating that clock up. Missouri made Georgia beat them through the air, which of course they did. But that's going to be the same recipe against the Gamecocks. You got to believe, you know, that is something that we hit on recapping that South Carolina, Florida game. Jason Brown got the game ball after the game. He gets all the credit in the world for winning his first start there at South Carolina. But the difference was the running game. 286 yards, I think, the Gamecocks racked up on the Florida Gators, averaging 8.8 yards on first down to make things easier on Jason Brown. And if they don't have that type of success, can Jason Brown win a game on the road? Again, I know Missouri, at Missouri at this point of the season, Fans may be checked out a little bit. It's not necessarily the most hostile environment, but hey, a lot of different ways to look at this game, and I really think it could go either way for South Carolina or Missouri. It's all going to be about which young coach can get his team up for another week of SEC action. And, uh, you know, that is something both Shane Beamer and Eli Drinkowitz talked about here this week leading up to this game. Shade, I guess I'll just start it off with the quarterbacks. I think we saw Jason's going to be the number one guy on the depth chart. Is that the case that he's going to be the starter on Saturday? Yes, Jason will start at quarterback. Uh, uh, he obviously played well uh, the other night and, and had some momentum because of it offensively. And need to keep that going. Zeb's healthier and and is is available. Zeb practiced today, did more today in practice than he did at any point last week. So he's good to go. Um, uh, Jason's the starter and. And we've got a capable group of guys back there that we can put in there and, and play quarterback, whether it be him or Colton or Jason, Jason Colton, Zeb, uh, uh, to carry on, whoever it may be. Omega Blake, who knows? And I guess on a serious note, I, I know every coach's philosophy is a little different as it pertains to this, but 
do you talk to the guys about the possibility of winning another game and getting to a bowl game? Like, or is that something that you just kind of just don't address until it happens? Yeah, we, um, we addressed it this morning in the team meeting just because it'd be naive for me to think they're not talking about it. Um, cause I'm sure they're hearing it on the outside and, and they know, but we addressed it briefly this morning that every time you think about getting bowl eligible, stop. And just think about at that moment what you got to do to prepare to play your very best against Missouri, because uh, we don't want to be thinking about, you know, it's the whole process and result thing. Let's not think about what the the result on Saturday. It's the process during the week to prepare ourselves to go play great on Saturday. Uh, but I I did address it, you know, briefly this morning as well, and uh, and said, look. We're not going to talk about that. Let's all your. We're not talking about Florida. We're not talking about getting bowl eligible. It's being our very best to go compete against Missouri because we expect to fully get their best shot this weekend. I mean, they're sitting there four and five, and they're fighting their rear ends off to to find two wins at least down the stretch as well. And and we're the next opponent for them. And you can see them getting better as the year goes. So they have our full attention, and we better be ready to play. Uh, at a high, high level on Saturday uh, against them because we fully expect them to be at the, the highest level they've been all season. Shane, schematics aside, uh, did did Sats play calling just feel different on Saturday night? And just how would you just kind of describe how he was able to, um, you know, just kind of piece that game together uh, play by play? Yeah, I think it when you're able to run the ball and you're able to stay on the field, it certainly feels different and, and – um, and looks better, without a doubt, when you're moving the ball forward and you're not having a bunch of second and 11s and second and 12s and third and longs. It certainly is easier. We talk all the time about staying on schedule at first and 10. Let's get it to second and six, not second and 11. So we were able to stay on schedule. And then I thought Sat and the offensive staff just did a really nice job of, of a really – like we do all opponents, but really breaking Florida down, understanding when we lined up in these certain formations and they lined up this way, what we're most likely going to get defensively, coverage-wise, pressure-wise, whatever it may be, and then having you know plays to attack that. And Jason had great confidence in the plan, and, and it all just you know it all just uh, uh, flowed together for sure. But a lot of that is done obviously during the week, the preparation leading up to the opponent, where you get out there on Saturday and. Um, things were certainly, you know, clicking from the flea flicker on the first game, first play to, you know, whatever else. Things just uh, – things flowed very easily, for sure. Probably as well as or pretty close as you guys have played around defense all year. After looking back, what specifically did, did you do maybe better than you had been doing in some previous weeks? Yeah, I was – I really felt like we were physical in the trenches. I thought our two linebackers played really downhill. We – you know, changed up our lineup a little bit. We had Blaze and Chad Bailey, and both those guys were not passive. They were downhill, fit, fitting gaps, running through. Um, I thought our defensive line did a nice job of, of shedding blocks, getting skinny at the point of attack, playing more vertical. I thought we did a better job of setting edges. Uh, I think there was only a couple of plays that, that uh, got out on the perimeter, and those were off of quick screens more than – or swing screens more than they were on, you know, designed runs that, that had really been gashing us. Um, and so I thought, you know, those things helped us. Obviously, we still gave up 166 yards rushing, which is too many. Um, but it was a step in the right direction. And, and I thought really our front seven, and including Martez, 
uh, did a nice job in his fits um, this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's all about this week. It's really all about this week. Um, we really can't focus on anything else. Um, in order to get to six, you got to first get to five, and we've got an opportunity this week at home versus a, a quality opponent um, that we've got to play well against. And so that's that's really all of our focus. There's. Uh, an opportunity to win a trophy, you know, at the, the Mayor's Cup. And so, uh, you know, you got an opportunity to, to, to claim a tangible benefit after the game. And so, really, that's our focus, our personal pride, and our performance. Um, an opportunity to not only represent the front of the jersey, the back of the jersey, but to claim a, to claim a trophy at the end. And so, th that, that's really how we're approaching this, is it's one game at a time. And, uh, you know, we got to prepare have a great Tuesday practice in order to put ourselves in a position to have a great Wednesday practice and continue to stack good days. And if we'll do that, uh, then the, the, you know, I think one thing that we have to continue to learn as a program is that just because you do all the things that you're supposed to do, it doesn't guarantee the outcome, right? But if you don't do the things that you're supposed to do, you don't have any chance with the outcome. And I think where uh, the disappointment came from early in the year was, our football team was doing the things that it needed to do to put itself in a position to win, but the outcome didn't reflect the work that we put in. Um, that's okay. That's part of the process. You've got to continue to do those things. You have to have a great Tuesday practice in order to put yourself in a position to execute on Saturdays. When you go back and look at our game Saturday, you can rewind to the Tuesday that we had where we had busted assignments. We had missed uh, or late to this or late to that. Like those things don't give you a chance to win on Saturdays because the little things add up. And so, you know, for us, again, with three games left, we're not worried about those three games. We're worried about making sure that we can duplicate a process that gives us a chance to be successful. And in order to do that, we got to have a great toughness Tuesday. We, we, we got to show up. We have to have great meetings, great walkthrough focus. We got to have a great practice with fundamentals and techniques. We got to make mistakes, fix those mistakes, correct those mistakes, take the teaching from the, the uh, classroom to the walkthrough to the practice. Um, and that's really our focus. Uh, you know, a bowl game is a product of what your season is. Our season isn't completed yet. And in order for us to, to reap that benefit, we got to put in the work for today. And, you know, that last thing that uh, Shane Beamer had to say there, Marcus Satterfield kind of calling the best game that uh, he's called since he's been there in Columbia. Again, will that carry over? A lot of it had, had to do with this ground game we thought we were getting from the Gamecocks this year. And you could argue Missouri's the most ideal opponent in the SEC to keep that trend going because they've been such a disaster defending the run. But – like I said, maybe what they did last week against Georgia, maybe that uh, gives them a little bit momentum heading into the South Carolina game. So it's not going to be as simple as that. But the team, if South Carolina can run the ball against Missouri, then they're going to win this football game. If Missouri can stop South Carolina, there's a really good chance the Tigers win the game against the Gamecocks and set themselves up for a potential bow run if they can win one of their remaining two games here before the season ends. All right, the other game I wanted to preview here, Kentucky at Vanderbilt, another SEC East showdown. Kentucky, they have the ability to lock up the number two seed in the SEC East by beating the Commodores. Of course, Vanderbilt has not won an SEC game 
this season that came agonizingly close against the Gamecocks, just couldn't get it done. Now they're facing a Kentucky team that's lost three in a row. And before you sit here and say, well, why are we even previewing this game? This is going to be a damn blowout. This series has been pretty close here several times, uh, particularly during the Mark Stoops era. Last season, it was a three-point game. Three years ago, seven-point game. I mean, this is uh, not going to be a gimme by any stretch. And you got to wonder, you know, how excited is Kentucky going to be to play this game after getting that gut punch against Tennessee? Vanderbilt's had two weeks to prepare. That's certainly got to help them in this matchup. And how about this? Vanderbilt, 11 interceptions the defense has gotten, including six games in a row with at least one interception. Their interception total 11 is number three in the SEC, number 15 nationally, while Kentucky has thrown 10 interceptions. That ranks 100th nationally. So that, that's exactly what the Commodores are going to need. It's a blackout down there in Nashville. They're wearing black head to toe, I believe, for this matchup. You get Will Levis to throw you a ball or two like they did Alante Taylor last week, like he did against the Mississippi State defense. All of a sudden, Vanderbilt's got a fighting shot in this one. And Vanderbilt also looks to be getting Ken Seals back from injury. He's not played since October 9th. Mike Wright's come in and played admirably. He's a great runner, just not the passer that Ken Seals is. We've seen Kentucky here two weeks in a row getting torched through the air. Certainly Vanderbilt just doesn't have the weapons or the offense that uh, Mississippi State or Tennessee has, but you got to imagine they're studying this film and saying, hey, this is a great opportunity to get Ken going, to get uh, some of these receivers going against uh, Kentucky secondary that has lost its way a little bit. Uh, this season towards the tail end of this losing streak. And, hey, that's why college football is so great. I mean, nine times out of ten, Kentucky's probably going to decimate this Vanderbilt team, but it just doesn't always play out that way. And how will Kentucky respond? It wasn't that long ago. They were top ten in the country, I believe. I mean, we're talking three, four weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden, they're out of the rankings. They've lost three in a row. What do they got to play for? New Year's Six was looking imminent. Now, after the, all these losses, I mean, they are just tumbling. And how will that affect the psyche of uh, these young athletes? I mean, that remains to be seen. Going out on the road, you're not going to have uh, the BBN behind you like you have in, in the Florida game and the LSU game, and obviously the Tennessee game, all these big games, you've had your home field crowd at night, and until last week you were winning all those games. Again, I don't know. This this is uh, an interesting spot here for the Kentucky Wildcats, and particularly Will Levis, who I know he had a relatively big game against Tennessee, but he had the big mistake too. He cannot afford to have those mistakes against the Vanderbilt Commodores and let them hang in the game because that's how you get beat on the road in the SEC. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, Mark Stoops kind of talks about here, his secondary, how they've been kind of playing a little poorly here in recent weeks on the competitiveness of the series. And uh, interestingly on, you know, how he can relate to Clark Lee and the rebuild going on there in Nashville Whereas Clark Lee, on the flip side, getting his starting quarterback back, it sounds like, and how much uh, the Commodores needed that bye week to you know, finish the season strong. Passing defense, obviously, though, that's the continuous yeah. 
I do. I do. It bothers me. Uh, you know, it, it does. And, um, you know, the only thing we can control is, is how we practice, how we improve. I will say, after watching the film, you know, the corners I felt like, two, you know, two games ago or maybe at times were um, maybe not competing at the level that I expect out of them. And I did see that Saturday. I did see improvement. You know, you, you may not because you're like, what the heck, you gave up so many yards. But you do watching specific guys and seeing specific matchups and them winning, they, they won more than I thought just watching the game live. Uh, you know, again, there were some there were some obvious situations that I don't need to call out any one specific player or anything like that. But there were some missed tackles at the safety and on the perimeter that we got to leverage the ball. It's as simple as ever leverage in the football. I mean, how many times have I talked about that? I, I can't talk about it anymore. You know, and we got to get it taught. You, you know, football one on one, leverage the damn ball. Probably fans, and I would think so, media folks as well, look at Vandy and say, that's Vandy. And yet, the series is virtually even. And yeah. they've given you guys a lot of trouble through the years. Our players know that. We, we, you know, we fear no one and respect everything, everybody. You know what I mean? So but we're, we're beyond that. We know at that point we respect the game. Do we always play our best? No. I can't sit here and say that. We don't. But... You know, and I know watching football, watch pros, watch college, it's not like that. I try to tell you that early in the year. It's not like, oh, that, that's, a, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a win, that's a loss. That's a win. It's not how it works. And uh, these are young men that go through a lot. And uh, it is our job. It's a challenge. We have to get them ready every week. Physically, they go through things, you know, and we're going through a lot. We're down three starting defensive linemen. But, again, nobody cares. That's not an excuse. It is what it is. Other people are down players, too. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're beat up a little bit. You know, when you're inexperienced in the secondary and you have three starting defensive linemen down, it's really not a good combination. You know, I'd like to have our best players and our best pass rushers out there, uh, but, they're, but they're not. So it is what it is. You lost another hand, though, to go back to Nashville. Pardon me? Yeah, I can relate to it. It's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. You know, so, but he, he'll do a great job. Seems like he knows what he's doing. It seems like a good guy. I don't know him very well, but uh, they're they're fundamentally uh, very well coached. Uh, you could play. You could see they're playing inspired, and uh, that's the sign of well-coached team and uh, results will ultimately come if they continue to do what they're doing because you could see it uh, with the product on the field, the way they're coached, the way they play tough, the way they play fundamental. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for what they're doing. I know I know it's very difficult. What about uh, Will's performance, especially after having some struggles in Mississippi State, the way he bounced back? Were you expecting him the way he practiced during the week? I, I was. I, I think you all can tell when I'm in here that that when I say I'm not overly concerned, am I, uh, we're never happy when somebody has a per, poor performance. But we really feel like 
you know, with the with certain guys, we know they're going to bounce back. They just have that resiliency, and he has that. He has the confidence. He's resilient. He's talented. He's getting better, and uh, you know, he's he's very determined. And um, I think you're seeing guys start to step up around him, and that's that's contagious. And uh, so, um, you know, that's good to see. Are you? Uh, what is the status of Ken Seals and Rocco Griffin right now? So I'll start with Rocco. Rocco was back at practice uh, yesterday, trending towards being available. Uh, I would say he's still questionable. He needs to make it through um, this week's practice, but we're, we're hopeful for him. And Ken's back. Um, I think we're just uh, using this week to determine um, – is he back to 100% and ready to to lead the offense? And um, you know we'll make a decision on that later in the week. But uh, he's back and in, in practice fully, and we're excited to have him back. It's been great. It was great yesterday to have him back out there slinging it around. So we, we'll uh, we'll see how he responds through the week and make a decision later in the week on on um, who starts. Clark, how much did that break give your team, you know, besides just the chance to heal up a little bit, but maybe give a little bit of a fresh start here for a final push to wrap up the season? Well, that's the the message. And I, I think it was um, for all of us. I mean, we, we've, uh, you know, we've been through a lot in the first nine games and learned a lot. Um, I think every team this time of year is dealing with that late season grind. And so both physically to refresh, mentally to refresh, and like you say, to come back in the final three games here, not just to, to get through them, but to attack and to, to continue to build this program through the end of the season is important. Uh, we want to continue to look for opportunities to develop um, the depth on our roster and the, the, the youth in our roster. Um, and we want to take advantage of, of all the opportunities we have as team one to continue to compete and to grow on the field. And so um, I, I thought practice yesterday was spirited. It, it looked like a fresh team, an energized team. Um, and so hopefully the time off gives us a chance to launch here into the finish of the season and um, and battle what every team is battling. That's, again, the the accumulation of, of um, the grind. And it's a physical grind. It's a mental grind. But um, I'm excited to watch this team through to the finish. Now, of course, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's not won an SEC game dating back to 2019. So this, of course, we've said this a couple times this year, but this may be the best opportunity Vanderbilt has to get them an SEC win. You're getting a team on the decline. You're getting a team that's hurt. You're getting a team that's not as well-rested as you are. You got to lay it all out on the line. Hopefully that your quarterbacks come back 100% and he give you a fighting chance in this one. And, hey, I'm not saying it's going to be an upset, but I'm just saying this one's got the makings of a potential upset there on the West End there in Nashville. So keep your eye out on this game. When a team is having a magical run and it all starts to go downhill, that's how you get things like last week. We have Florida losing to South Carolina. Would Vanderbilt beat Kentucky? Would that really be as big of an upset? I don't think it would be. So... This is going to be an interesting one here on Saturday. Kentucky certainly, and on the flip side, you know, I'm not trying to totally shit on Kentucky. This could be a great opportunity for them to snap that streak, 
finish strong. You got three winnable games to close out. You still have the opportunity to have a hell of a season and potentially go out with four wins if you win the bowl game and every game you got left in the regular season. So I just think there's a lot on the line here for both these teams. And uh, it's going to come down to which team shows up. All right, so that's all I got on this episode of the show. Cousin Shane be back on the next episode. Cannot wait. We got a loaded schedule. I know we got a bunch of non-conference games here as well in the SEC. Should be some blowouts here, but uh, I really like the league games we got this weekend. Everyone's got storylines going into it. Everyone's got a lot on the line. Cannot wait to break down our picks here on the show. But that's going to do it for this episode. Get you on the next one.